My name is Peter Yates, and I had the pleasure of directing this film, Bullet, that you're about to see. It was my first film that I'd made out of, out of England, the first film in America, and uh, it was really entirely due to Steve McQueen, who had invited me over because he had seen a film of mine called Robbery. I really considered myself very lucky and I had a very good time shooting it. The uh, opening sequences were originally going to be shot in Chicago, but uh, in fact what happened in the end was the long shots and the exteriors are all Chicago, but uh, the interiors were, sh were shot in San Francisco because the whole film was shot on location. Uh, this is something that I had asked for because I felt that I knew more about location shooting, having done almost nothing else but location shooting with films like Taste of Honey, and uh, which was directed by, by Tony Richardson. Uh, and he had brought me up really to shoot on location. Um, and I felt that I knew more about this than, than probably the, the studios did, and that if I got stuck into a studio, uh, they would be watching me very closely and I wouldn't be quite so sure of what I was doing. So uh, that all worked out very well. And William Fraker, who in fact uh, lit uh, Bullet, uh, was also somebody who'd used a lot of locations. He and I were, I think, the only two people on the crew who had in fact shot commercials and this allowed us to use all sorts of lenses and effects that uh, most feature people didn't understand at that time. Because whenever you see this film, you have to realize that it was before uh, effects, visual effects from, uh, from computers came in. It was before fast, very fast lenses. Uh, and it was before, very much before fast film. So a lot of these things were entirely due to Bill Fraker's uh, guts, really, that he would try something and get told off by the, <laughs> by, the, uh, by the powers that be that he shouldn't have gone quite, maybe quite so far. This whole opening is, is, a, is a grabber. It has to grab you. Uh, it uh, is really part of the number one story. And the, uh, the whole point, really, of this film is that it's, a, its main story is really the minor story. And the minor story becomes the main story. I mean, this story about this person uh, escaping here from from the mafia um, was really you'd think the story was about him, but it's not. Uh, it's about the character that Steve McQueen plays, and uh, I gather it's sort of set now to uh, film scriptwriting classes how to create a film whereby the uh, uh, the main story becomes the second, the secondary story. This, of course, is all shot in San Francisco. This is San Francisco. We were right up on top of a, uh, of a high building, uh, round by the square. We, uh, we chose to shoot in, in San Francisco because I felt it would give me more freedom. 
uh, I felt that originally the script had been written in uh, uh, Los Angeles, and uh, the feeling, and also uh, Phil D'Antoni's feeling, was that if we were away from Los Angeles, we'd have far less uh, people looking over our shoulders. Uh, and also, although the, there are some very good locations in San Francisco, in Los Angeles, they had almost all been used by uh, police, you know, p police uh, television stories, and it would have been very difficult, I think, Excuse to give a different, a, um, a different v vis visual image oh, uh, to the I'm film. That's uh, Johnny Ross. Yes, sir. Sorry, sir. Nothing. Nothing? Are you sure? I'm sure, sir. No, my film Robbery, which uh, Steve McQueen had seen and which uh, got him to uh, arrange for me to come to Los Angeles to meet him, uh, had a car chase in it. And uh, Steve, I think, is, as he's fairly well known, uh, is mad about cars, and uh, I've always been interested in cars. In fact, I used to w work for a, uh, a car racing company called HWM uh, at one time. Uh, but I think that, that robbery, again, was all shot on location, and he liked the style of the picture a lot. Um, yes, here we are coming out of the middle of, of San Francisco. Uh, we had, I must say, enormous cooperation uh, from from San Francisco and from uh, from uh, uh, I think it was Aliotti. It was it was uh, the the mayor at that time was Aliotti, and in fact he very kindly gave me a a uh, <laughs> uh, um, an, an award which said I could ride on the on the the. Uh, trolley cars any time I wanted. I've never actually taken him up on it yet. There, he was very keen to uh, encourage people to start shooting in San Francisco uh, because this was really before... Uh, uh, before uh, Coppola had had started working up there before almost anybody and he he knew what what a film could what a film crew can spend and he knew how how interesting and i must say that the cooperation we had from the police and from the city uh was incredible and i think at that time we would not have got quite so much concentration from uh, yeah. from uh, uh san francisco from los angeles although now they're very helpful but uh this was exceptional. Let me in, will you? We uh, really wanted to make a film that was that was uh, a modern western. Um, the western, uh, after all, is something which uh, is. Uh, Part of part of of uh, of Hollywood's background, and also, funnily enough, with westerns, they were always shot on location, whereas films like Bullet, which had uh, uh, major actors in it, um, 
we're, we're never we're never really shot on location. They they were too far away from the pools, you know, and uh, so that uh, that was another reason that I think this had to be to be like a to be like a western. The whole setup is like a, is like a western. Um, the thing about Steve, I'm a little moments like, like that one just now when when he thinks the, the the orange juice is for him and in fact it's not it's it's uh, uh it, it's it's for uh, don gordon who was playing the part of uh Delgetti. that's don gordon um he's very good at <laughs> steve idea of waking up in the morning i think was terrific he's a very good he's a marvelous actor steve he uh he always felt that he was a reactor and not an actor. He said to me on one or two occasions, you know, I'm a reactor. Don't give me too much dialogue. Uh, and in fact, I mean, he dealt very well with dialogue. The scenes in the hospital that he plays uh, are excellent, but there's little moments when, I mean, his reactions are marvelous. This eye movement here in this next shot where he sees all these people uh, who are very much sort of out of his out of his ken really out of his his sphere uh, I mean that little reaction of his there it, it's it's just extraordinary his details are uh, are, are extraordinary um, but you just watch his eyes I wasn't intimidated working with a superstar because he, because I, I'd been out of the country. I didn't know because I was living in London uh, and didn't really know much about McQueen's uh, reputation, which I mean, as far as I was concerned, proved to be completely wrong. But you know, all actors want help. All actors need an audience, and the director has to. You have to put yourself in that position, so that uh, they've got somebody to play play for, play to. Um, it's a, it's it's a really a case of Steve needed needed to have confidence in many cases. It's a funny thing to say about an actor who is well known for his confidence, but in fact. He he did need help with conf with with his confidence and with he he didn't think that he could act, and in fact he can he can, he acted beautifully. I was brought up uh, by by uh, Tony Richardson really, and Tony used to shoot all his locations, uh, all his films on location. This is something that he'd got from the French movies and from the early Italian movies. Uh, and we never used to shoot in the studio. So quite naturally, when I came to Los Angeles, I felt that my knowledge uh, was greater uh, than, than uh, people who were really brought up, tied down to a studio. And we got a lot of enthusiasm from Steve, who loved this idea, who uh, I remember when we took, first took him to the hospital, not to go in, but purely for choosing the locations and, and for the scenes that were shed in the hospital. He was really taken up with, with, uh, with what he saw and the reality of everything. 
Uh, and he really got into that. And, of course, Fraker helped enormously because uh, he also, having experienced a lot of, of uh, location shooting, it's a freedom that he gave him was, was enormous. Uh, I mean, this is, again, here that you're watching now is, is again, it's a location. And uh, the scenes, it was a bit crowded, a bit, a bit, a bit matey, I must say. But uh, it does give something, I think, to, the, to this building, to be able to go from a, a small lift into this narrow corridor. I mean, if you built this corridor, someone would say, oh, well, it should, be it should be wider where I need to put my lights here or I need can't get the sound right. Uh, but this was an, an actual uh, hotel. It's now actually been knocked down. I chose it because, as you will see, it's right on top of a freeway. Uh, people said, well, you're mad. Uh, <laughs> how are we going to get sound when, all, when this is on top of a freeway? Uh, and uh, sound people did an incredible job and actually got marvellous actual sound at the time. And I got... Uh, a terrific atmosphere for the room, purely from what you see outside the window, because the the freeways fascinated me, and I think that's part of the, of being an English director in in uh, in America. An American director, I think, uh, accepts the freeways. I used to think of them as veins running through the t through the city, um, and uh, they gave me. A sort of start for the for the film, and they do they do uh, uh, appear quite often in the film, um, and I concentrate on them because I think it's 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 the way people, in especially in California, move around. So it is it's their their lifeblood. I think that uh, being uh, an Englishman, actually a Scotsman, in uh, in America. And having been brought up uh, in uh, being brought up in in uh, in England, helped a lot because my eyes were open to things. I didn't have prejudices, uh, which I think that, and I don't mean those those are bad prejudices. Things that you would just accept because you were brought up with them. And I think that that uh, to go with a new look helps you um, helps you judge it much better. Helps you have, as it were, clearer eyesight than if you were actually uh, born in, in the country. And I think it's the same quite often for American directors, uh, especially nowadays, uh, who, are, who, are work, who come and work in England and work in France and work in Italy. And I, I, I know they get the same feeling. McQueen was a guy's guy. He really was. And all this was very important and the way he 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 played and, and acted with Carl Rendell he really helped him he was a young actor who had done very little work and yet McQueen was extremely kind to him and helped him a lot and he has gone on to work quite a lot it's obviously very important it's a very important film as far as I was concerned uh, I'm very fond of it I'm very proud of it um, and it was. There were other films. There are other films which I've been equally proud of. I'm glad to say, and I've been very lucky to have been able to make so many films. I suppose, especially nowadays when it's really difficult to make uh, more than maybe three or four.
This was um, the introduction to Jackie Bissett's character. Uh, Jacqueline Bissett, I, I've now worked, I've had the pleasure of working with uh, twice, both in, uh, both on Bullet and on The Deep. Um, she is extraordinary. Um, we wanted her to be feminine. We wanted her to, to have a creative brain, as it were, so to match McQueen. It gave, we felt it gave McQueen a certain standing. Um, it was, it's always very difficult for the, the woman's character in, in a Western. Uh, and it was here to find out, to find exactly, you know, what, what one can get the girl to do that doesn't in fact hold up the action. Um, we had to keep her waiting for a long time because as we were literally having to work on the script and, and working on the script with Harry Kleiner uh, for, for some length of, of, of time, uh, we kept on putting the woman's character back, uh, sort of delaying writing it because we weren't quite sure how she was going to fit into the story. So she really had to hang around the whole time, waiting for us to have something for her to play, something to, something to say. Um, we were using her as a comment on, on McQueen, showing uh, McQueen's uh, sympathetic side, his, his uh, reality. Actual fact, we worked a lot on the script, and it, it all worked out very well, but it was very much with the help of Harry Kleiner. These are the kind of scenes that I really love. There's no dialogue, it's all done with atmosphere. We, in fact, shot it from outside the window. I wasn't at all sure when we first arrived, outside this window here. Uh, I wasn't at all sure quite how to shoot it, because it's the atmosphere which is important, and it's the looks between uh, McQueen. I mean, that, that's the sort of thing that Steve is marvellous at, that making a moment. But I think that it's, it, one is able to create, with the use of long focus lenses and the music, um, one is able to create the kind of atmosphere that one wanted to show. Uh, rather than having a, a love scene, rather than having, uh, you know, the kind of scene of, 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 uh, that might have really held the picture up. I think this way, the images that uh, uh, Bill Fraker came up with and the thoughts that, that uh, McQueen... And this is why when McQueen said he's not an actor, uh, <laughs> it makes me laugh because there are scenes like this and like the scenes in the hospital where... He's a marvellous actor. Uh, this definitely proves that less is more, uh, and uh, that's really what I'm, I, I always try and work for, and that's what, um, what really, the, I think that everyone working on the film, that we all were aware that uh, we were you know, that the one couldn't overcrowd it in any way. There'd just been too many, there had been too many gangster, too many police pictures made, too many television pictures made, that if you, 
we just have to keep away from the normal, what is expected, police stories. And also one was lucky enough to have an actor like Steve and Jackie Bissett. And they're, they're both very sort of underplaying. They're both very good at their underplaying and like to underplay. I like to use long lenses because I think they, they give you a feeling of being there but not there. I mean, they, they give a, a feeling of not intruding on the actors. Uh, I mean, here, this is, this is not that long a lens, but it, at least one wasn't, didn't have to be, have the camera right on top of them while they're playing an intimate scene. Uh, and I've always liked long lenses. Wide angles seem to get a bit sort of stuffy. But um, and by that I mean they they are so wide that uh, they take in an awful lot. There are times for all of them, times for for every kind of lens. But um, I f I find that the use of long lenses, especially in a film like Bullet, and especially the way I was was using it during these the these this picture, um, I think gave you a detachment, gave you a feeling of observing of being there but observing uh, rather than intruding. It's, uh, people have often asked me, uh, why, did, why did he unlock the door? Um, and uh, my answer to that is, well, if he hadn't, there wouldn't have been a movie. Um, it's, um, it's, if you know the first story, that the, this is really, as I say, this is part of the, of the original first story, which is the person who you saw escaping from um, Chicago. And if one had followed that story, one would understand that this man was standing in for the person who you'd seen escaping out of there. And that by having him killed, the idea was that they would, that would put him, uh, put, um, put him off, the tra off his track. Uh, there again, the use of the shotgun there is very much the, uh, the feeling of a Western. It's a kind of... A kind of, of uh, weapon that you would use in, in a, a Western. Here again, you're reminded of the, of the traffic outside, the blood of the city continuing. I particularly love this scene too, which is, there's a, a piece in here with the the ambulance man, who was in fact a real ambulance man, because I like to, wherever possible, to use actual people, and we were able to because the the the, the union, the crowd unions at that time were not that big, uh, and we were able and were allowed to use to use a, to use a. a uh, yeah, I'm only pausing because there's a moment that I love here. And uh, oh no, it's a bit later on. It's the next next body that comes down in the, on the stretcher. <laughs> <laughs> 
But there's also there's a shot that that Fraker just pinched. He was carrying a, a, his Araflex camera, and uh, he picked it up purely as 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 mood. And it really is. It strikes a, a mood amazingly. Uh, but I think there's a feeling here of immediacy. There's a feeling of of. Uh, Of, of something is going to happen. What is it? Where are your priorities? It was important to have very simple staging here um, because, you know, otherwise it can get too much detail and and you you lose the feeling you you'd lose the the sympathy for 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 his uh for uh, a bullet's assistant uh, this is the kind of moment i don't like ad libbing but sometimes you get a moment like this which is just coming up and then you couldn't improve on it there But look how Steve jumps into it. And uh, yes, indeed, somebody had screwed up, but it was not rehearsed. Uh, we had a very bright real ambulance dry, uh, uh, ambulance man. And McQueen is typical. I mean, he loved moments like that. That's the, scene, that's the shot I met that Frake had took, which I think just really shows the, uh, the atmosphere uh, of that, that side of San Francisco before it was knocked down. You could always rely on McQueen to show his real feelings with his eyes. I mean, they're, they're extraordinary. You can see how upset he is and how really worried he is by the fact that his person he was responsible for, his junior, uh, his eyes here, you can tell he, he was, you know, he was genuinely worried and felt responsible. Uh, and this is, of course, what sets off his whole chase, because he is determined to uh, to uh, have it have have this man uh, not revenged, but uh, to have him discover who in the hell was responsible for hurting this man, who in fact had a, a young wife as well, uh, who one sees later on. Um, but, um, and this again also was shot actually in the hospital. And all these people really, they were people who genuinely worked in the hospital, including the doctor at the moment. Okay, scissors, Jones. Okay, somebody get the blood pressure. Oxygen. Can I have an APD pad? Can you move your hand? Say, do you want to step out? Oh, uh, your buddy's all right. That was it. That was the moment there. Somebody 
which is where the young doctor turned to Steve and said, it's OK, we can do it from here. And Steve's look, <laughs> it's the first time he'd ever been chucked out of a scene, I think. And uh, uh, the point is that the doctor, being a doctor, knew that it was time for no-one else to be in the room when the operation was going on. But the look on Steve's face was extraordinary. Um, and the, 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 we had a, a double... Uh, a double here for George Stanford Brown, and uh, he <laughs> he said after doing the shoot, and he was given all the tools and things and everything, and he said, "Oh God," he said, "the temptation to see that naked flesh." He said, "I was dying to cut into it," but I mean that's the good thing about, as I say, using people who aren't actors but who actually live and, and do what they do. There's you get natural reactions from them all. What was it, pre-op? BP pre-op is kind of 40 over 90. Tom, take this. Now it's down to 90 over 70. How much blood do you have? Another retractor. We have four up here. We've ordered four more units. Alexander, please. How much have you given him? We're starting our first one right now. Yeah, I better bring you another one. Mayo, please. Penis shutter, please. I always try and aim for a documentary in scenes of this kind because I think you therefore believe them. Uh, they were that was a that was a, a shot that McQueen wanted very badly, which was the shot of a white nurse whiting the forehead of a of a black doctor. He felt that was very important. Um, and. Uh, I think it was. I mean, at that time, especially in, in 1968, which is what it was, uh, these things weren't that usual. Again, here, the eyes are extraordinary, the way he registered the people. And this is what shook him when we first went to visit the hospital, was actually walking. He'd never been in this kind of a hospital before, and he was very taken That's the wife of uh, the man who'd been shot. Um, eyes, eyes, absolutely no dialogue necessary. It's all there in the looks, and it's there in the atmosphere. Um, and it's there for, for you to judge people, you know, I think anyone's been in a hospital, they recognize exactly the signs, rather than they've been watching a television series and they think they know what it's like to be in a hospital. How's he doing? Falling. Stan? Okay. He's sleeping now. I want to talk to you. Simon Oakland, who's this actor here, uh, was a choice of mine. I had seen him uh, in several movies and really liked his presence. He doesn't look... Uh, he doesn't look like an actor, really, and he doesn't behave like an actor. Um, and he has the authority that was needed to be McQueen's superior. Uh, and yet, without showing it, you know that he's sympathetic to, to the job that McQueen has to do as a... as a... as, as Bullet. Um, and yet, on the other hand, he's he's very straightforward about uh, um, about what it means to him, and that uh, 
he will try and protect him, but on the other hand, he, there are certain things he can't do. And things are down too good. It's a man of fat for him. You know, they send us up committee hearing. Now he can't produce the big surprise he promised everyone. He may try to make up some mileage by laying it on us. I think this is what was interesting about the, about the film was because McQueen had had a certain fears about playing a policeman because at this time of this period in 67, 66, uh, the police in America, especially in California, were not that popular. And he felt that maybe he shouldn't be playing uh, a policeman. And we managed to persuade him that how much good he could do by playing a policeman to show the human side of it. And there are, in fact, human... Um, there are human policemen, the people who really believe in what they're doing. Um, and uh, it really did work. I think it, it, it helped a lot in the sort of the whole... Uh, feeling of making people a bit more sympathetic towards towards the police, but even there with Simon Oakland, you get a feeling of him trying to protect the the bullet character. So you know that there's a loyalty between them all. Robert Vaughan, we managed to to kill his political career uh, because he played this character. I'm told that he, in fact, um, did not manage to, to ch change over many, quite a few years later, he wanted to actually go into politics, but people remembered him from this film, <laughs> and I'm afraid he suffered from it, but he's a lovely actor, he's a terrific actor, and um, he, had, he had made his name, of course, in a series called The Man From Uncle, uh, playing a very different part. Now, what went wrong, Lieutenant? But uh, here, this is when Steve says he doesn't like dialogue. Well, one has to remember this scene. Again, the eyes help a lot, and the two of them worked so well together, the one absolutely hating the other because they're both two completely different sides of a coin. Um, but um, again, you see, this is the advantage of shooting on a location through that window at the back there, you get the continuation. And again, but behind Steve, you get the, the depth of the actual hospital itself, which you would never get. I mean, you would never have a set as large as that or giving you quite so much atmosphere as this. What was the deal you made with him? Deal? Lieutenant, don't try to... There is a... I mean, this is very clearly the villain, and uh, as in all good westerns, there, is, there comes a time when there is a standoff between the two main characters, and uh, this is where this happens. This is where the, the two, two characters who are very different in their in their approaches to life and into in their ambitions uh, really show them show themselves up lieutenant i shall personally officiate at your public crucifixion if ross doesn't recover during the course of the hearing so i can at least present his deposition and i assure you i shall not suffer the consequence of your incompetence 
And even if there wasn't any, I'm rather certain I can prove negligence. Vaughan is incredible, I think. Um, the way he played with Steve, because he's, he's, he's equally well as intense and as concentrated as Steve, but without the warmth, but, which I mean, he's capable of, of warmth, but uh, he knew not that, that it, well, that's not what he was having to use in here. There's a hardness and harshness about him. Um, again, you see, playing that scene outside the window, again, it needs a location. Um, and you can play two, on two different levels. You can play the, the scene outside and the scene on the reaction of what the two people inside are doing. And that builds up the relationship between uh, Bullet and the Doctor. But this is where the music was, was so useful. I mean, because it, uh, Lalo Schifrin's music was very, very economical. He was, thank goodness. Lalo had a, a marvelous feeling for the film. Uh, he, really, he really did, and he realized the economy that, that we were heading for, the, the fact that, that, that um, uh, there shouldn't be any, uh, uh, any exaggerations, any uh, really pushing of the drama, because uh, if you push this kind of drama, it, it becomes really very theatrical, and we didn't want it to be theatrical. I mean, it's a theatrical story, but you didn't want it to be theatrical. Um, so that I think that he gathered that, and he knew that, and that's why his score, I think, is, is so simple. Uh, and yet, when it comes in, that means that it really helps. Dr. Kenner. Bill was very taken with, uh, with European movies, and he loved the opportunity to be able to make a film more on, on European lines. I mean, these are all locations, and that is not easy to light. That is not uh, something that, you know, especially from the fact that we didn't have fast film. Uh, you just had a, a sort of ordinary... Uh, lowish value, which meant you needed more light, but to get the feeling of, of less light, which he does, uh, and to have the shadows and the, the whole feeling here, uh, is quite, a, quite an achievement and was at that time. Uh, nowadays, you'd probably, it'd probably be much easier because with the, with the speed of, of, of film, and the speed of of of, uh, of the the uh, not the film of course <laughs> because nowadays it's all uh, it's all digital but um, it was much it, it is easier now than it was than it was at that time. I love chases. I think chases are such fun. <laughs> it's 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 always difficult to time them properly, uh, but uh, when they work out as this one did, it's so satisfying. 
and especially when you've got images like that, which again was in the the bottom of the hospital. I mean, this was an incredible location, this hospital. I mean, the tension here, I think, really works. And there's a shot coming up, which I don't know if I'd been producing, I'd have been very happy about, but I wasn't producing, so therefore I could be completely free-hearted. I mean, that, what that must have taken to light, <laughs> I don't know, but it really gives the feeling you want of uh, enormous area and not knowing where to find this person. He is very like uh, sort of really creative stills that move. Um, and he used his movement of this camera, which I, which I love. Um, and together, the, the two of us in with rehearsals and things used to try and get as much camera movement as possible, which, of course, is nowadays uh, quite easy to accept. But you have to remember we were shooting in in uh, 68, I suppose, 68, yeah. Um, and uh, there have been a lot of advances since then. Here, Lala Schifrin's score really pays off a lot. The fact that you've been holding back on the music and hasn't had a lot of music um, really, really pays off completely now and it helps add to the tension and add to the pace. Um, this is a cheat. Yeah, that one. <laughs> but you've got to have, but you know, as a director, you're allowed to have a bit of fun. It was a terrific shoot. Um, I mean, obviously for me, as, my, as the first American film I'd ever made, and to be given as much freedom as I was given uh, was extraordinary. This is because I was being backed by McQueen. Um, the studio at that time uh, were not quite so sure about McQueen, uh, and in fact, they, they finished their contract with him directly. The f film had finished. But um, uh, it meant that, that anything I wanted to do that Steve would, would back, or Bob Relier, who was the executive producer, who was really Steve's uh, partner, uh, was an enormous support to me. All these scenes I rehearsed, they're all rehearsed. Uh, I think it's essential that one should rehearse as much as possible, even when there's no dialogue, uh, just for people to know where they are and for, to give them confidence to be able to uh, uh, 
to really seem happy and, and, and content. Um, there again, these are all actual doctor. He's an actual doctor. And the other three are, are, are uh, nurses. The other two, I'm sorry. Yeah, this, of course, was uh, George Stanford Brown, who by this time looked so at home <laughs> in the part that uh, one could very easily um, take him for being the actual person, the actual actor, the actual uh, doctor. McQueen loved the rehearsal. I mean, he hated dialogue, but on the other hand, I always remember, I always insisted, I always insist on having two weeks rehearsal before shooting. And before we made Bullet, uh, we rehearsed a script that we really weren't going to shoot. But my reason for doing that was to, to let all the actors meet each other uh, converse, talk, get to know each other, which is all very important. And McQueen, at the end of the rehearsal, got up and made a really lovely speech and said, you know, this shows, this will show people that the actors are important in, in Hollywood and that um, they, you know, this is, this is a, a, a turn of events which actually wasn't quite true. I mean, people had been rehearsing for some time on on various films, but not a lot, not a lot of, not a lot of. Uh, but it did. He 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 felt that it gave the actors more control, which of course it does, because they've had a chance of trying out exactly uh, what they want to do, and and a chance of my telling them exactly how I saw the characters and how I saw the part. As you go, Doctor. Take it slow. McQueen's movement is extraordinary. It is so relaxed, and it is. It's a, a complete study in movement. Uh, he never makes a bad move. And he, his his little gestures and things are what gave him his character, I think. And uh, the way he moved like a panther. Yeah, I always loved that shot. That shot is the only time, <laughs> the only shot we ever took of the Mustang before uh, we got hold of the of the of the Mustang and brought it up to, and sort of brought it up to fighting fit, as it were. And that's why it bounced, because we hadn't had anything done to the suspension at that time. Uh, and thank goodness. Um, uh, me meanwhile, of course, when we came to shoot the actual chase later on, by that time, we got hold of the Mustang and had uh, 
toughened up the suspension, made some changes to the engine, and done so much to it that it was really difficult to make it look as if it's going at any speed. But that's why I always like that first early shot, because it's sort of got a bounce to it. Uh, and it, there's two appearances of the Mustang that I like. That's one of them, and the other one is in the mirror later on. But um, the other car, the Charger, had had nothing done to it, and it used to, when it was doing about 60 miles an hour, it looked as if it was going fast. Whereas when the Mustang was doing about 100, it looked as if it was doing about 50 or 60. That, again, was an idea of Steve's. He felt that it, it showed humanity. Little moments like uh, a bullet stealing the newspaper. Uh, you felt he'd run out of change. Uh, he'd just bought his, his lunch, which he chose, or his, his, his meals for about the next three days, which showed he really wasn't very interested in food, the way he just picked up those frozen foods uh, packages out of the store. Um, and <laughs> it was a sort of naughtiness that made him steal the newspaper. Uh, it's not something, again, that you would expect. It was a way of showing that he was not just a straightforward, believable policeman. He was that, that he was a human being underneath the fact that he was, in fact, a policeman as well. This was uh, right opposite, a, a shop right opposite where... Uh, and it existed, and we were talking about what he should take, and this was Steve's choice. He said, I think I should take one of everything. He said, because I'm not interested in food as a character, and uh, I think that I should uh, just show that food is really quite unimp unimportant to me. And I think, again, that was a quiet, no-dialogue moment that really says so much about his character. Sorry, Joe, he's been transferred to another room. Mm. Sergeant Fletcher. May I have an outside line, please? May I speak to your supervisor, please? I'm afraid she's busy. Uh, I think that Chalmers wearing a pocket watch is uh, it's a nice idea. I think that was actually Robert's own idea. Uh, it's just that he felt it gave him that real form of being shitty, which he was uh, as a character. And uh, it just, just anything to get at the bureaucracy, to get at the feeling of, of the people who are, are so-called in charge and the um, dishonesty of them. And also because uh, Robert Vaughan is very charming and he's very charming in the character, uh, which is the contrast that you want. Um, this is, again, the advantage of, of a location. You can get a shot like this of seeing somebody approaching you from way back. Yes, Captain. I'll take care of it. Thank you. Excuse me. Uh, Dr. Willis, going off duty. Call him at home. Are you sure he's not there? Um, Do you have Dr. Willard's home number? Dr. Willard? Yes. One has to remember that at this time, um, the police were not popular. There were a lot of things that happened, a lot of political things that happened, uh, and the police had been used in many ways uh, to, to back up uh, certain people who shouldn't have been used by the police. Um, so that it was really 
quite original to have a, a policeman who uh, was human, who uh, made his own decisions, who uh, had had sympathy and who uh, knew what they wanted, you know, knew what, knew what they wanted and knew when something was honest and when something was dishonest. Um, here again, uh, this is Norman Fell, who was uh, playing the head of police, who was corrupt as <laughs> And this was the kind of police one thought one was going to have, and that uh, that's the kind of person that uh, that Bullet was fighting against. It showed great, uh, great courage to play it, and we did take some time having to persuade him uh, that, he could, that he could, in fact, play uh, a, a, a police officer. And uh, not only would it be an entertaining and good character, but that um, he would have a lot of sympathy for it and that people would understand him and would understand you know, what he was doing and why. Um, but it, it, it was not something that uh, he particularly wanted to, uh, to play in the first place. Um, here again, you know, most of, the, most of his clothes were, <laughs> were in fact from Dougie Haywood in London uh, uh, because he, A, he loved uh, uh, English clothes um, and... Uh, I wanted to not show a period, really, or there was a period that uh, the, all these clothes... I think one of the reasons that people accept the film now is that if you saw someone going out dressed as McQueen is dressed in this film, uh, you wouldn't place it. You wouldn't know where or what, what, what year it was at all. Um, and I felt that was very important, both with him and also with the cars. And I think maybe that's one of the reasons that the film has, has, has held up, is because um, there's really very little to, to date it. Is it open? The door's open, sir. This scene uh, was was constructed in such a way that um, I set up the scene, I set up the the the, the props, um, and didn't tell Steve where anything was going to be, so that he would have to find it for himself. And then, of course, we added we added certain inserts afterwards but allowed him a complete freedom to go where he wanted and to think what he wanted and to really get lost in, in, the, uh, uh, in the scene itself. And it really shows the very best of, of McQueen, I think. I mean, his concentration is enormous. And everywhere he looked, you felt for somebody. There's the, the veins of the place again, the, the, the cars, the roads, which we'd know 
one had never seen outside America and I hadn't seen until I went to America. I think that is the scene, that last scene is a scene which, which really showed that if you follow the eyes, you'll follow the story. And that's where the inserts came in. And without the cue of the inserts, you never would, you never be able to. This, of course, this scene is very much Mr. Nice Guy and Mr. Uh, and, and, and the tough cop. Um, he was, uh, Don was, was a great friend of Steve's and that's, I think, why they work so well together. Um, I always loved this character, too. <laughs> and you can tell all about him by Steve's, Steve's reaction to him. But, uh, again, the advantage of location, you've got a whole street outside. Let's go to the guy in 634. No luggage. That's right, sir. And he didn't store anything. No, sir. He came in empty, which means you gave him a good look over. Always do. They're the ones I give the eye to. Then you saw how he arrived. Yes, sir, in a cab. What line? Sunshine cab. There's very simple coverage in this because it's important to get the tension. It's important, again, to tell the story without actually anybody saying something. Um, and McQueen gets the message. He says, this is I love. He goes out the door, you pan over, and you come out, and you see him getting into the car outside. <clears throat> That's my, my, really my very favorite kind of, uh, uh, of, of setting up of shots. I nearly got fired because of this shot. Uh, because uh, we shot inside, actually inside the, we, I put the camera inside the, uh, the cab and we shot. And the, uh, the notes we got back from the studio afterwards was that I should be fired because I'd allowed to get water on the lens. Well, of course, it wasn't water on the lens at all. It was, in fact, the fact that we put the camera inside the car, which was not the kind of thing that was going on in those days. First stop was the mark. How long? Not long. And here is Robert Duval, who uh, had a much bigger part originally, and unfortunately, it got cut down and cut down. I, I apologized to him much later and said, really, we kept you hanging around. And he said, well, you shouldn't apologize. He said, because I learned to play tennis. And I've had a great deal of ple pleasure out of playing tennis. And without that time I spent up in San Francisco being paid, uh, <laughs> I would never have had the opportunity to, uh, to spend so much time learning tennis. So I felt a bit better about it because I felt he's a marvelous, he's a wonderful actor. Um, and I felt that we hadn't, I hadn't really used him to the... Uh, to his proper ability. Hello. Eddie? Two's time. I need some information on a Johnny Ross in Chicago. Give me half an hour. Meet you in Enrico's truck. Right. We uh, selected the charger that you see you saw just now. Um, 
in those days, the, the studios used to have deals with with a film company, with the car companies, and uh, Warner Brothers' deal was with Ford, um, and both Steve and I were very determined that you wouldn't have a Ford chasing a Ford, uh, which would look rather like a tie-up. So we managed to, through Steve's influence and Steve's uh, power, really, we were able to get uh, permission to use the char use a charger. Uh, I loved the charger very, really a lot because he had a sort of evil, sharky look to it. Uh, so that it worked very well, and it was a, b a big contrast to the to the to the Mustang. Yes, the uh, one could say that one could say that that uh, by by choosing a Mustang and a Charger, that uh, maybe we were underlining the uh, the Western uh, outlook. I mean, the Western uh, style of the film. Uh, but I, we didn't really think of that at the time. We chose them because the Mustang was the best Ford to use for the character. And uh, the Charger was, a, as I say, was a shark, was a, a, a rather spooky-looking looking car. Uh, and, and there was a good contrast in the looks of them. This is all shot outside the cathedral, uh, again, incredible cooperation that we got in San Francisco. I was very lucky to have some very strong actors uh, in Bullet. Um, Simon Oakland and, uh, and Robert Vaughan, for instance, when they come together in their scene, you really feel that here are two actors who can really cope and can really act with each other and through each other. They, they were the kind of actors who play off each other, and that's awfully important. Uh, it's important in the theater, but it's, it's even more important when you get it uh, in, in cinema. And you really need a theater background to have it, I think. And Simon Oakland had a theater background, and, and also uh, Robert Vaughan had, too. Here again, uh, the emphasis was on the family and on the family uh, background um, of, of the, the senior police and how they really would appreciate the, they appreciate the, the whole uh, honesty um, of what was happening. Um, and again, this was a, a very pro, um, a pro-police idea that uh, we wanted to put over the uh, we wanted to put over the sympathy of 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 what a police force has to go through and, and what the responsibilities they have to take This is the influence, I think, of, of, uh, of commercials, both on Fraker and on myself. 
Now, this actor is Justin Tarr, who's playing the character of Eddie. He's a, he was a, a friend of, of Steve's, and Steve felt that he, he'd uh, uh, got a lot of, of, of insight into the characters through him. Um, he, he, they say he wasn't, in fact, an actor, um, and one had a little bit of trouble with his dialogue sometime, but uh, that was a request of Steve's um, that could he possibly have a part in the in the film, which is just, again, a, a typical example of, of how um, Steve would think of other people. I think that the, the tie and those glasses, I mean, for, you know, 67, is not bad. Uh, um, and of course, the 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 the, must, the mustache and the side things. Again, it shows you know the deals that can be made. Um, and the fact that there are you know that one has to do to find out information that it's not uh, necessarily immoral to do these deals. Again, one has to look at at what what McQueen is wearing. You know that's would look just fine today. Uh, and it is very English. I mean, grey flannels, sports jacket, and a, a, <laughs> a dark blue or black uh, um, turtleneck. Well... Here's the beginning, the setting up, the setting up of the of the chase. Um, originally, there was no chase in the script because, also, of course, the original script was set in in, uh, uh, in Los Angeles and not in San Francisco at all. But the chase came about because Phil D'Antoni, who was producing the film, had seen the chase in Robbery, who knew of um, uh, McQueen's love of fast driving. Uh, but I was a bit concerned because I thought that I'd done a chase, so I don't want to do another chase. I mean, the fact that robbery was only seen by very few people in America it never sort of entered my head at that time. And the fact that uh, McQueen was going to make... Uh, was going to make... Uh, uh, a car race picture. He said he didn't want to really do any car racing or, ch or changes. Luckily, we changed our mind, and we were given two weeks at the end of the schedule to shoot the chase. And the two weeks, and that was it. We had to close it up. Um, it wasn't very fast shooting. Naturally, one had to set up and clear with the police all the areas that you wanted to use and show them roughly what we were going to do. Um, it's coming up is one of my favorite shots, I must say. But... Uh, I love that shot. We were shot. We were set up in the back, uh, in the trunk of the uh, uh, of the charger, and it was really the focus um, was an extraordinary problem, which was done, which uh, was very successfully 
got over. Um, and again, very much helped by Fraker. I mean, very few cameramen would have have dared set up in the back of a car uh, and have got the, uh, the actual amount of light that one needed. Um, all these, these streets had to be cleared with the police, um, who, as I say, as long as you told them what you were going to do uh, and they knew what to close off, uh, they were extraordinarily helpful. There was, uh, all the cars involved are uh, all driven by stunt people. There were no, no real cars allowed. Uh, that idea, and you're off, you're off. And I have to admit that that idea of the, uh, of the seatbelt was an idea of Bob Relier's. He had the idea. <laughs> I wish I could claim it. In fact, I often have claimed it. But it just shows how everybody involved with this film really all got together and, and you know, we all contributed. It was the, exactly a, a gunfighter strapping on his belt outline. And uh, here, he hit the camera in that last shot. And Steve, instead of stopping, well, you notice he put his head right out the window. He was determined that everyone should know that he was driving. Uh, and he had to pull over like that and, and back out. And meanwhile, leaned, leaned right out the window to show that, hey, I'm driving this car. <laughs> I don't want anyone else to think that's uh And we put this in. There's, a, there's always been a question about... Uh, a certain Mustang, that Mustang there, why it appeared twice. Uh, the reason it appeared twice, twice was that I was only allowed to shoot, there it is again, I was only allowed to shoot this uh, one time, uh, or I had a morning on it, and um, if it, if, what we did was that we shot it, we shot it with two cameras, uh, and that it was so popular when we put it together that instead of just running it once, we run it twice. You see that, that Volkswagen just keeps appearing. And in the back of this shot, I was actually in the back of this, of this shot. Uh, because we were having trouble with a bit of vibration. We had some incredible camera mounts, but... Uh, and I looked at it and I thought, you know, I thought well, the only way to do it is for me to look through the camera. So I was strapped in the back of that car. I wasn't strapped, you weren't strapped in those days. Um, and uh, I put my eye to the camera and I came out and I said, well, I tell you, you're not going to see any of that. It's wobbling all over the place. And when we got the dailies through next day, it was absolutely fine. It was obviously, it wasn't the camera that was wobbling, it was my eye that was wobbling. Yeah, McQueen did all his own driving. He was very insistent that if he was gonna do this, he would do all his own driving. And of course, it was wonderful for me 
because uh, it's so much easier to to shoot something when you can show the person who's driving it, you know. And uh, of course, the uh, the other car, the Charger, was driven by Bill Heckman, uh, who was a stunt runner. This one is the actor, and these two, who are both actors, well, they're both stuntmen anyway so that one could show them as well. So it was a, a, a great freedom to be able to show and get involved with the actual drivers. Now, the, the shot that's coming up always intrigues me. Uh, that, that's Buddy Eakins who does this incredible thing. And if you run that back very slowly, you'll see that he, in fact, as I noticed when we were cutting, uh, he puts the bike, he lays the bike down and then he sits up, uh, <laughs> and I said to him afterwards, you know, after when we were while we were in the editing for it, I said I've been running that shot, and uh, I noticed that you put the bike down and then you 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 raise yourself up while you're still sliding and you you, you then go down again. He said, "Too right. I wanted to see where the car was." <laughs> but that's the kind of. Uh, coolness that one got from uh, from Bud and from from uh, the, the 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 special effects people the special effects people and especially from uh, from Carrie Lofton who was uh, my head of head person involved with the uh, with the car chase I mean, he is an incredibly experienced special um, stunt director, not director, sorry, stunt sort of leader. And it was his support, really, uh, that helped enormously um, because quite a lot of the other stunt people thought we'd gone mad. They thought allowing uh, major stars to participate uh, was a great mistake. We had a great problem here with the English language because... Uh, I, I said, uh, well, you'll go past, you go past the lorry, uh, and then you go on the other side uh, of the drop head, uh, and come round the other side of the tra of the uh, uh, um, of the caravan, and of course, no one knew what I was talking about, uh, but um, we managed to sort that out anyway. You couldn't have any music here because there are certain action sequences in this one that the sounds are their own music. Uh, we had the music to start of the chase, but once you get into it, the, the, uh, the engine scenes are so loud and the tire scenes are so loud uh, that your music would not, would not, uh, uh, would not come through. Now here, in fact, uh, if you see in the back there, you see uh, that in fact the car missed the uh, the gas station, or shot a shot with nothing to do during the preparation day. Uh, and I was told, that being English, I didn't quite understand how long it took to set up these things, and it in fact took a whole day, and we were supposed to finish the next day. Um, but it was uh, it was it was a, a, a case of 
and nothing to do. So uh, I took a shot of moving in on the gas pumps uh, on the the, uh, the trailing car, on the shooting car, um, and zooming in onto the gas station. And in fact, <laughs> as it turned out, that saved it because we overlaid a shot of an explosion later on in the studio in back in Los Angeles. And uh, you just don't notice that, in fact, the cars didn't uh, didn't come. But this is why the editing, uh, the the editing of Frank Keller won him an Oscar. Was the kind of originality, the kind of uh, of thought that he he put into this picture. Uh, he was an incredible editor. I worked with him five times, and he was quite extraordinary. We had this uh, special car which in fact had been built uh, for uh, Paul Newman um, with a, a racing picture he'd done, done before. It was pretty hairy. Uh, <laughs> I, I read, rode on it two or three times, uh, but unfortunately the operator had had a very bad experience in France and was lucky to still have the use of his legs. Um, and in fact, Fraker, Operated most of the of the shots from the the camera car. It was incredible. It could do about a hundred miles an hour. Uh, it was very steady. Um, but you know, you're right out there in front. You've got nothing between you. If you were to hit anything, that was it, because uh, you couldn't have any any car in front of you. Um, there were other camera positions on it, but it's the the one that was really the most used was in fact the the position that looked straight forward where you could follow behind other cars, you could follow behind your, your car and then draw alongside it and then uh, draw alongside it and uh, still be shooting in the same shot. And of course that's part of the point of this picture is that a lot of the time one's tried to have continuous shots. When you think that what Bullock could have been was yet another police story, it could have been another episode of, of a good police television series. And I was determined that it would not be, that it would have a feeling uh, and the kind of atmosphere that I was always brought up with, uh, really mostly by Tony Richardson, uh, of a, a European film, of a, a French film, of an Italian film, where you really get the feeling of the dirt and the feeling of the, uh, well, you know, of the, uh, well, the feeling that, that, that it's actually happening. We, in fact, um, shot most of this film on, on an Aeroflex. I mean, to such a degree that, um, and this was so unusual, <laughs> that Aeroflex took a full-page ad in the trade papers um, thanking McQueen, thanking Fraker, thanking myself, and uh, thanking Phil D'Antoni uh, for shooting a film on, on Araflex. And in fact, Warner Brothers didn't own an Araflex, and they had to go out and, uh, they had to go out and, and I think they must have bought it. But they were still using the Mitchells that uh, they'd bought for, for Hitchcock, I was told. Um, but the Araflex obviously you wouldn't be able. The Mitchell was fairly big in those cases, in those days, and we'd have had a lot of trouble getting into a lot of our locations with the Mitchell. I mean, in fact, 
It's not true. We didn't shoot all the film on Narraflex. We, in fact, shot in the hospital where we had the space. We used the Mitchell. Uh, it just shows you can't have any <clears throat> any definite um, you can't have any definite rules. Uh, you've got to be flexible. You've got to go along with with uh, with what's right, the right tool for the right job. Um, but it's amazing because the way that Aeroflex has now developed, uh, uh, most people use Aeroflex a lot of the time. Um, but it was just a, a flexibility of being able to get into certain locations which you wouldn't be able to get into with a larger camera. Ah, Jackie looks marvellous. She always does. And she looks exactly the same now. This, you see, and that was the man you saw escaping in Chicago. And that was the main front story. Um, and obviously all this, this side of it would normally be the... Uh, uh, be, be, be the uh, the other side, the, the, you know, the secondary story. Um, go on about this this construction that was there, uh, but it was a bit it was a bit unusual, but it did work. And this was the only grisly bit that we had, I think, in the whole film. Which I mean, nowadays you get so much blood and guts. Uh, there was no nudity, there was no reason for it. Um, the only really, uh, I think the only profanity were, was bullshit, uh, which in fact was the only way that we could think, it comes in later in, in uh, on the film, uh, it, it, in fact it was the only word that really summed up exactly how uh, bullet would feel about the Vaughan character, um, and it, um, it it got past it got past the censor. Um, in fact, it got taken out because we started up in the Radio City Musical. Bullet was first showed at the Radio City Musical, and it was a complete change of attitude for them, um, so that. Uh, they had bullshit taken out, but I was sitting in a screening in San Francisco one time, and um, the head of the head of Warner's leant forward and tapped me on the shoulder, and said, "Put it back," <laughs> and it's gone back, and we've got through it. Although in those days you might have got a got a, a certificate of, other than the one we got. Now this scene is a scene that I wish we had no dialogue again. It would have been marvellous. I think just visually it would have said everything that we need to say or needed to say in it. This is where we were, we were using um, a 600-millimeter lens and no one else on the set except for Bill and I had ever seen one. And it got a lot of attention, I must say. <laughs> but uh, we'd both been brought up on these sort of lenses for commercials, which is, of course, why... A training in commercials is so is so uh, incredibly useful. Um, 
But this sort of thing, it's all shot on very long focus lens. And this is a scene we had terrible trouble with. We weren't quite sure what, he sh what she should say. And I think that I, I would have just visually used it rather in the same way that the cafe was used. It would have been stronger. And as far as the reeds, well, the reeds all give you a detachment. Uh, whereas the road at the end really ties you back into the progress and to the, the feeling of being back in the community. In that scene, one was using it to um, really give a feeling of his background, of, of, of his problems that he would have to go through as a person. Um, that it's all very well that you go in and you see, um, um, you know, you see uh, somebody see a murder, you do this, you that. But especially at that time, you never really got a true feeling of, of how the person who discovered it or the person who was working on it would really feel to show that he did, in fact, it was important as we were trying to make a film that would get sympathy for the police to show that it's not that easy to go in and just see a murder. It's not that easy to see people killed uh, and, you know, finding out what's happening and things. And although in the scene, Jackie feels that he, he's, he's cut off and that he doesn't a, a, a really appreciate uh, the, 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 well, the violence that, that, she, that uh, they've just seen, um, she can't understand how does he, does he cut himself off? How can he cut himself off? And, of course, this is a question which uh, uh, every good policeman uh, has, to, has to, uh, to deal with. This scene here I've always been very pleased about because uh, we packed the two trunks. Uh, they had watched, Don and, and uh, Steve had watched people doing the actual searches before. There were three things we told them to look for, the tickets and the money. And I've forgotten what the other one was. But we packed it and then let the cameras go on Steve and Don and didn't tell them where it was or what it was. We told him what they were looking for. It's, it was extraordinary. And, and uh, then having to go back onto it, into the inserts, so that one had some control over the time it took for them to find because it. it took them a little time, actually. Passport, no passport, no tickets. Yeah, and I haven't found any tickets either. So they're looking for tickets, they're looking for money, they're looking for passports. Uh-oh, they found some money. And they loved doing it, you know, because they, they, they meant they were discovering it themselves for themselves as actors. Look how much money he's got. Look at this. This guy's loaded. But the poor continuity girl having to uh, 
<laughs> keep a record of what of what what they found and when because obviously we couldn't shoot the inserts at the same time as we were shooting on them um, so she had to remember exactly what we found and at what time and and you know whose hand they were in and all that kind of thing but that's the that's the problem with being uh, continuity is you have an awful lot of responsibility it's a bit easier now with uh, digital cameras because you can take photographs and take pictures and, and have a really good reference. Thanks, Tony. Okay. There again, that man in the shirt sleeve is a real, actual policeman who was in charge of the uh, storage room where these sort of things are brought in. Multiple gunshot wounds of the left side of the face, the left side of the neck, and about the left upper thorax. These extend from the lateral extension. Um, to, the left to work with McQueen was always, as, I, as I've said, it's a great pleasure. But the other actors really liked and admired him. Uh, and the feeling was much more of a, uh, uh, of a company. There was a more of a a, a company feeling, which is what I think that was what pleased him mostly, because as I say, it was his first picture as a producer. It was his first picture with his own company, and he was determined that he was going to set up a way of working that gave a lot of sympathy to directors and to to actors. Here again, this man here is uh, is the real thing. Um, McQueen called me one day and said, we're going to go down to the morgue. I said, oh, really? He said, yep. Uh, he said, the police took me in there, and it's very effective. He said, this time I'm going to go and I'm going to eat an apple in there because I want to show them that it doesn't affect me at all. I found we went down and visited. So we went down and looked at it, and, and uh, I found it didn't affect me until about half a day later when it was rather like a car crash. <laughs> You suddenly get really quite, I got quite shocked. But uh, it was such a good location, and they were, again, allowing us to, to use the actual morgue, which, again, happened to be near one of the veins. It happened to be near one of the freeways. Of course, this, uh, this machine wouldn't, uh, nowadays would be an email, but it's about three times the size. And they had only just appeared. They had only just been been used. That's the girl. McQueen had an incredible, incredible charm. Um, he, uh, he he could really get himself out of almost anything purely by by his look. Uh, um, I remember being in a restaurant once with him. Uh, and uh, somebody came up to the table and was talking to him. And, and Steve said to her, I said, have you had a bad day? And she said, no. And he said, well, I have. <laughs> and that got rid of her rather quickly, but with great charm. <laughs> I think the appeal that Steve McQueen had and, and still has um, is one of, of, of being straightforward, one of, of uh, 
being one of the, you know, as it were, one of the guys, um, uh, an honesty, uh, a feeling of not of, of, of there being no class, um, which is why the scene in the in the um, uh, in the house in uh, Robert Vaughan's house when they when they have the. Uh, uh, the, the people raising raising money for uh, for obviously it was a it was a a, a, um, a raise a, a fundraiser that he was at, and all these very wealthy women were coming in to uh, to sort of fawn over over Robert Vaughan's character, and I think that what one liked about McQueen was his actual dislike. Of that kind of thing, of that kind of, of of attitude, he wanted to feel he was one of the guys. He would go, he would go off racing his motorbikes. He'd go off racing because he felt it would give him a basis, and he had that basis. He had the basis of uh, what might be called the common touch. This is actually my favorite bit. I, I like this better than the car chase. You know, first of all, again, cooperation. How many major airports would allow you to shoot, uh, to shoot there? Mind you, the crowd is all controlled crowd. Uh, we were restricted to, to areas. Um, and again, especially when you get out onto the, the front of the airport, uh, you're dealing with, with uh, hardly any light. Um, it was after the airport closed. The, airport, the last plane, I think, used to come in about 12, and we used to have it until the first plane, which I think was about half past six or something. But uh, when we're actually outside there, it was extremely dark. Um, there's a particular scene when Steve is running after the... Uh, well, I'll, I'll wait until we get to that scene, we get to that area, which is when they're outside uh, and McQueen is chasing, chasing the, uh, the bad guys. But here, this is all shot actually in the airport. Obviously, you'd never get this sort of space. Um, and the casting of the crowd was very important because we wanted to show the kind of people who you get coming through uh, San Francisco airport, especially on a plane that's going to Rome. It's got a lot of priests and nuns in it uh, because, after all, it's it's Rome we're going to, and uh, there's a lot of Roman Catholics in uh, in San Francisco. Um, there again, we were very limited in the space we had, uh, and we used to think these planes were enormous, and I remember them telling us about the uh, 747s that were going to be uh, invented. But they hadn't come in yet, and these uh, and these planes seemed big enough. We wondered who in the hell. Here again, no dialogue, just inserts and uh, uh, and reactions or looks, concentrates. Um, 
usually I didn't tell them what they were looking for. They were looking to spot something because that's the way both Steve and Don like to work, which is to keep things as a surprise. But, I mean, those eyes are so extraordinary. I liked this uh, scene more than the chase scene because I think the people were involved more. I think that it's the action outside with the planes. I mean, it's uh, uh, here there was more story involved than the chase. I mean, the chase is, uh, I loved the chase and uh, it was great fun shooting it. We had a good time shooting it. But here, once you get out here, uh, I think also because it really tested Fraker to the absolute limit uh, with what he could see and what he couldn't see because obviously we weren't allowed to put very bright lights out uh, because it would blind the pilots. Um, we had, I think we had two Pan American planes and we had one other airline gave us a plane so that uh, we had, I think, three airplanes to play with. I mean, that's quite fun. Uh, but uh, flare-outs like that, you know, um, uh, Fraker could deal with so well, it was incredible. I think that flare-outs are very exciting. Uh, I think that because um, they never used to be done, they'd be called imperfections. Uh, but I think that they help the pace of the picture, they help the reality of the picture. You know, there you've got your baddie who's in the in, a, in the aeroplane. And the plane has gone out. In fact, it's being recalled now. But, I mean, it's, it's interesting to see what the inside of, of those uh, 707s were and how big they were. And yet they didn't really seem... Uh, they didn't seem that big. Now, this is the only profanity in the, in the picture, and it's just so right... Uh, that we were determined not to give it up. I always loved the use of reflections. Ah, oh, wonderful. Those, <laughs> these two worked, worked so well together, it was wonderful. Um, and they, they really enjoyed it. They liked each other very much indeed. Um, and they got on very well, and they worked marvelously. Um, you've got a tension between the two of them, and yet you also got a real feeling of uh, of admiration on both on on Vaughan's side, not not obviously on uh, Steve McQueen's side. I mean, admiration for the actor, but not admiration for the character. Integrity is something you sell the public. You sell whatever you want, but don't sell it here tonight. Frank, we must all compromise. Bullshit. Get the hell out of here now. That's it. <laughs>
I always like this shot too. They're playing with the, with the big aeroplanes, they're, they're so extraordinary. These uh, always took, they all look, always looked a bit like a clown, you know. But uh, when you think how much bigger now the seven, 777s and the, and the 747s looked, uh, it's amazing. They still seem, these still seemed extremely big to me, very large. And here again, you're shooting inside an ordinary aeroplane. Um, and uh, just again, mostly playing off Steve's looks, Steve's face, and uh, the reactions of the reactions of the crowd, the atmosphere building up. You know, music, just a feeling of of, of attention growing because you know what you're looking for and you don't know if he's going to find it, but you're sure he will, because after all, he is the hero. So, but when they both see each other, I, I have always liked Less Is More, and one can see Less Is More here. I think it's a perfect example of it. Um, but I don't think that this story would have the tension or the, the reality uh, if there was any more, if there was any, any more uh, descriptive dialogue or descriptive music which would be... Uh, really telling you, warning you how maybe something is going to go. Remember that uh, Steve has never seen this man before uh, and he's just got to take signs of something unusual. He sees that, he knows. That's a hell of a jump. <laughs> Steve was dying to do his own jump, but I, I wouldn't let him. We wouldn't let him. We wouldn't let him do it because of his legs. Now this is where, of course, it's a bit hairy. Uh, we had complete control over the planes. We were only shooting late. But this is where Fraker excelled himself. Again, no fast film, uh, no no fast prints, no fast uh, uh, negative at all. Um, it's just knowing quite how much to do and how much not to do that allowed us to shoot out there at all, really. I mean, nowadays it would be a piece of cake. Um, one would easily be able to, to, to do all these things, but um, not in 1968. And I think people are inclined to forget that when they see the picture that they, 
that they forget that in fact, you know, that availability, that's the other plane we were allowed, PSA, which was a, a local plane. Because again, we didn't want everything to be Pan Am. The same reason we didn't want everything to be forward because it, uh, it looked too like a publicity plug, you know? His tension during these scenes, I think, are incredible. He knows something's going to happen. And when it does, he's off, he's clear. What Steve did was a bit hairy, um, and the, the you know that we had, but we had I mean control over the planes. But there's a shot coming up, uh, this one, where Steve is running behind there, and this is I say before fast film. All I can tell you is after that shot, Steve said, I'm not doing that one again. <laughs> but um, I, I looked through the camera, that shot panning along when he was running on the other side of the plane. Um, and I, I, I turned to Frake and I said, look, if we, see, if we shoot that and McQueen sees that in dailies, He's going to go mad. He's going to say, why did you put me through all that when you can't recognize me? It could be a double. And obviously, he wanted to do it himself. So he said, Freker said, OK. So he put on the, a much longer focus lens, which, had a, a, which wasn't quite, you know, it really shouldn't have gone, gone, shouldn't have been enough light to use it. He used it. And he pushed it in the laboratories three times. Next morning, very early, he called the laboratory and said, how are dailies? And the laboratory said, OK. He said, how about the shot under the plane? He said, Mr. Fraker, I don't think you should extend yourself anymore. <laughs> so Bill said, did it come out? He said, yes. He said, that's all that matters. But nowadays, of course, that would be of no problem. That would be no problem at all. You use faster film or use, uh, use uh, uh, more, more faster lenses, which just weren't available in those days. Once again, building up, once in amongst the crowds, in amongst the crowds of people, trying to spot people. I was very lucky because I had an extremely good assistant director who uh, 
managed all the crowds and things, called Tim Zinnerman. Uh, he, his father, Fred Zinnerman, of course, was the, the well-known director before him. Um, and uh, having been an assistant director myself, I really appreciated what Tim could do. And he had a, a hell of a job uh, controlling uh, all these crowds, because although it looks natural uh, and the movement looks natural, these, in fact, are all paid extras. They're not uh, just people milling around. That doesn't really work, I'm afraid. Um, and you know that people are around. You know that uh, something's going on. And the gun appears, which is, gives a threat for... Uh, and here again the music comes in, and the use of music. And again, one tried to give uh, an idea of the feeling. I mean, the, the people in Hawaiian costumes, what you get in, that's what you get in, uh, um, in San Francisco. You get a lot of people coming back from, uh, uh, from uh, Hawaii. Um, He's looking. He he's can't find. Yeah. But we had a lot of trouble with the glass on there. You have to get have to have it sent up from Los Angeles, and. Uh, I heard the shot right down the hall. I always remember that line. I don't know why. They're not the kind of, you know, so often extras become so used to shooting, so used to filming, uh, that they, uh, they don't really, they either overact or they, they look bored. Uh, we were lucky because uh, these people had not had, <laughs> that was a, that was a, a, an attack on the, all these support your local police who used to go on around the place, around uh, at that period of time. Um, I wanted to finish up, really, the film, not just purely uh, Vaughan driving away. Uh, I felt, obviously, it's not his picture. You shouldn't finish on him. <laughs> and although the story finishes there, the story about about uh, the Bullock character does not finish there because, again, he has to go home, get himself back onto, into a, a reality, get himself back into a, a, an existence. Oh, I must say now, looking at Jackie there, sleeping in bed, uh, <laughs> I really should have messed her hair up a bit. It's a bit Hollywood. 
uh, I'm amazed that that got passed. You know, you don't sleep with your hair in that position. I wanted very much to show that whereas, especially at that time, police were thought of thought to be using their guns too much, uh, and there was too much stressing of guns. Uh, here, he specially puts his gun down, folds it up and puts it down, away, and uses water, as water has so often been used in films, to show innocence, to show the, the washing off of a responsibility. That's really why then the look into his eyes again, the eyes of, of, of somebody who has experienced something. And although they didn't enjoy it, they didn't appear, it was a job that was well done, and it was indeed just a job. Well... Now you've seen my film, Bullet, which I'm extremely proud of. It was great fun directing it. It was a great opportunity for me and certainly has affected the rest of my career. My name is, is Peter Yates. I hope you enjoy running the DVD. And now why don't you go back and run it and listen to the dialogue?